Would you open God's precious holy word to Numbers 32? It ain't me. That's water draining in there. Makes us all want to go to the bathroom. No, it don't bother me if it don't bother y'all. Oh, I thought that was it. I thought that was the end of it. (laughs) No, it doesn't. I'm just, yeah, I'm just cutting that with it. Numbers 32. Okay. This is the new generation. They are ready to cross the river. It's been about nearly 40 years. The older generation's all gone. Moses is still giving, giving directions because as we look here, looking back on these directions that Moses is giving, he hasn't been called up when he makes these directions. He hasn't been brought up to the mountain of his demise just yet. But he is making all of the arrangements that need to be made for the people and for the new generation and for the new nation, this nation uh, that's going to be birthed in a sense. They're already a nation, but to be in the land We have to remember as well that the covenant, you cannot separate the people from the land in the covenant. It's a very important uh, thing to note. So here it's sort of like a, uh, it's, it's sort of like a call to patriotism, I guess. And Numbers 32 shows us that this new generation, they, they have a sense of loyalty to one another with, with respect to the tribes, tribal loyalty to the nation itself. So let's look at this in Numbers uh, 32. A request is made now for the territory to be given to certain of the Israelites uh, of East Jordan. They haven't, uh, they haven't crossed the Jordan yet. Well, let's look at it. It's pretty, it reads pretty well just straight through. The descendants of Reuben and Gad had an abundance of livestock, very numerous. They saw the land of Jezer and the land of Gilead, and behold, the place was a place for livestock. The descendants of Gad and the descendants of Reuben came, and they spoke to Moses and to Eliezer, the priest, and to the princes of the community. And they said, uh, Atarot, Dibon, Jezer, and Nimrah, Heshbon, Eliela, Sabum, Nebo, and beyond, the land that the Lord, the land that Yahweh struck down before the congregation of Israel is a land of, for livestock, and your servants have livestock. Now you see what they're saying. These two particular um, tribes were a, a pastoral people. They were, it was their work to tend to flocks. And so here's apparently a vast, uh, rich pasture land, grazing land. They said, if it pleases you, let this land be given to your servants as a heritage. Do not take us across the Jordan. Already that seems to be problematic because The Jordan, you know, that's like the boundary of the promised land. They are requesting just to stay where they are. 
the war, the, 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 the king of that area, the kings and the nations in that particular area have been defeated by the Israelites. They're, they've been in subjugation. They've been run away. They've been killed. And the Israelites are very strong here at this point. And so these two particular tribes, and they are fairly large tribes. You go back here in the book of Numbers and see their count. They're, they're ready to settle down. They're, they can see how perfect it already is for, for their flocks. Vast piece of land. It also tells you how strong the Israelites are in the area. That the Israelites saw that it was in their power to take whatever land they wanted. Now this was not part of the deal with regard to the land of promise. This particular part of uh, geography here, this is before they got there. But those two tribes are so impressed and what they see here is an opportunity uh, to prosper. And I suppose that being experts of uh, flocks and, and herds and so forth, they could see that there wouldn't be any better place, really. It's, it's already cleared, the pasture land's there. It's, it already has grazing uh, for their livestock. So, and, and the land is at peace. The enemies have been driven out or killed. And uh, those two particular tribes just in and of themselves are fairly powerful. So they go to Moses. How about we just take it up here? We're fine right here. Well, obviously that seems to present a problem. So Moses Hearing that, Moses said to the descendants of Gad, the descendants of Reuben, shall your brethren go to war while you stay here? That's what it sounds like. It sounds like they're just going to settle in and they're not going to go across the river and fight the Canaanites and the nations of the Canaanites that are there. So you're, going to, you're, just, going to, you're just going to forsake your brethren. Why do you discourage the children of Israel or the sons of Israel from crossing over to the land which Yahweh has given them. This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. They, you remember, they didn't want to go. They sent the 12 spies. 12 spies came back with a good report, but 10 of the 12 said, we just can't do this. The, 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 the people are too strong. The cities are too well fortified. And the two of them, of course, Caleb and Joshua said, oh, no, no, we're, we're well equipped. We can do this. But the majority ruled and then the people just more or less rebelled. Here they are at that point, that would have been 40 years earlier. They were at the brink of the promised land and they rejected it. And this is what Moses senses again here from Reuben and Gedan. It was such a sinful thing that it, it cost the Israelites dearly. Plus it put them back 40, 40 years and it cost them a whole generation. Moses recounting the issue. He says, they went up to the valley of Eshcol and saw the land and discouraged the sons of Israel from crossing into the land which Yahweh has given them. The anger of Yahweh flared on that day and he swore saying, none of the men from the age of 20 years and over who came out of Egypt will see the land that I swore to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, for they did not follow me wholeheartedly. There 
in is the problem with that group of people back in the time of Kadesh Barnea. They were half-hearted at best, faint-hearted most likely, and did not have the stomach nor mainly, here's the issue, they didn't have the faith in Yahweh to think that Yahweh is going to keep his covenant by leading them into destruction. What kind of faith is that? There's no faith at all. So he recounted, Moses is saying, this reminds me of when your fathers did this at Kadesh Barnea, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, Joshua, the son of Nun, for they followed Yahweh wholeheartedly. The anger of Yahweh flared against Israel. He made them wander in the desert for 40 years until the entire generation who had done evil in the eyes of Yahweh had died out. And behold, you have now risen in place of your fathers as a society of sinful people to add to the wrathful anger of Yahweh against Israel. If you turn away from following him, he will leave you in the desert again and you will destroy this entire people. This is how Moses sees it. This is not a good memory for Moses. This does not look like a good decision. It doesn't look like it's what should be done. And so Moses angrily responds to their request. This wasn't part of the deal. They're all supposed to cross into Canaan. And then the land of Canaan will be dispensed accordingly to the tribes. They're not, these two tribes are not wanting to go that far. Moses says, this seems to me like we've been here before. And it causes us to teeter on the brink of destruction. Please know that, don't do this to cost another generation the land of promise and to bring the wrath of Yahweh upon Israel. Well, Reuben and Gad come back to explain their position. Now, there's a little difference in the way it's said here because their first request was, we just want to stay here. Um, this is perfect for our livestock and this looks like a great place. So y'all just go on without us. That's what it sounded like. We just read it. But they, now Moses makes this objection. And so the leaders of Reuben and Gad come back. They approached him and said, we will build sheepfolds for our livestock here and cities for our children, our little ones. We will then arm ourselves quickly and go before the sons of Israel until we have brought them to their place. Our children will reside in the fortified cities on account of the inhabitants of the land. We shall not return to our homes until each of the sons of Israel has taken possession of his inheritance. So here's what they say. Look, we want this land. Let us prepare for our families. Let us build uh, fort fortresses. Let us fortify cities and make it so that they can defend themselves against the inhabitants of the land. And when we get this shored up, we of course will come and be with you until everybody has his land in Canaan. We won't leave you, we won't forsake you in any of the work or fight or wars 
For we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond because our inheritance has come to us on the east bank of the Jordan. Moses said to them, if you do this thing, if you arm yourselves for battle for Yahweh and your armed force crosses the Jordan before Yahweh until he has driven out all of his enemies before him and the land will be conquered before Yahweh and afterwards then you may return and you shall be freed of your obligation from Yahweh and from Israel and this land will become your heritage before Yahweh. Now it shows you also what a powerful man Moses is. This is not the land of promise. It is a land that is under defeat. It has been defeated by the Israelites. And the Israelites are in charge. But once the masses of Israel cross the river, it would look as though the ones of Reuben and Gad left behind would be vulnerable to attack. So they want to fortify, make sure everything's okay. But they guarantee that they will not forsake the armed forces of Israel until every tribe has received its inheritance. Now, they didn't say that to begin with. Thus Moses went on his tirade and reminded them of the troubles that had happened before. But so desirous of this particular land, which is really not part of the land of promise. So desirous of this land they are, they come back and they say, we're going to fight with you all the way, but this is the, we couldn't do any better than this. This is the land that we want. So, okay, Moses, the man of God here, okay, you have an obligation. You've placed yourself in obligation. So really with regard to the taking of the land of Canaan and your responsibility in it to help the whole nation of Israel, that will not have changed. You therefore will be bound for this service. You will be bound to fight and to be alongside your brethren until the land is conquered completely before Yahweh. Now you stay with that. You stick to that promise and this land can become your heritage before Yahweh. But if you do not do so, behold, you will have sinned against Yahweh and be aware of your sin, which will find you. So build yourselves cities for your children and enclosures for your sheep. And what has proceeded from your mouth, you shall do. The descendants of Gad and the descendants of Reuben spoke to Moses saying, your servants will do as my master commands. Our children, our wives, our livestock, our cattle will remain there in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will cross over all who are armed for combat before Yahweh, for the battle as my master has spoken. Moses commanded Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and all the paternal heads of the tribes of the sons of Israel concerning this, concerning what was said. And Moses said to them, if the descendants of Gad and Reuben cross the Jordan with you armed for battle, before Yahweh and the land is conquered before you, you shall give them the land of Gilead as a heritage. Moses knows already that he's not going to be able to cross the, the, the river with them. He's going to have to die. But if they do not cross over with you armed for battle, they shall receive a possession among you in the land of Canaan. 
The descendants of Gad and the descendants of Reuben answered saying, we shall do as Yahweh has spoken to your servants. We shall cross over in an armed force before Yahweh to the land of Canaan. And then we shall have the possession of our inheritance on this side of the Jordan. Moses gave the descendants of Gad and the descendants of Reuben and half the tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, the king of Bashan, the land together with its cities within borders, the cities of the surrounding territory. So he goes ahead. There are already fortified cities that are there. But these kings and, uh, and the Amorites and the others, they have been, they have been defeated. They've been cast away. And they're, in, they're actually in subjugation. Uh, they, could even, they could even be forced to serve as slaves if Moses so ordered it. So Israel is so powerful and Moses is so powerful as the leader of the whole force that he can give what once was a kingdom of someone else, the land, the kingdom, the city, the cities that go with it, the houses, the villages and all. He gives it all. He said, okay, prepare for your flocks, but you have to go with us. And then you'll see up there, he told them, he said, all right, here's the deal. They're supposed to go with you and fight in Canaan. And if they don't do it, that deal's off. They'll have to come and be a part of the tribal possessions of the land of Canaan. Now Manasseh is in on that and he conquers Gilead. So here we go. Uh, the descendants of Gad built Dibon, Atrot, and Aroer. Atrot, Shofan, Jazer, Jagbaha. Bethnema, Beth Haran, fortified cities and sheepfolds. The descendants of Reuben built Heshbon, Eliela, and Kerjathaim, and Nibo and Baal Meon, their names having been changed, and Sibma, and they were called with names of the names of the cities they built. Now, verse 38 is really a beautiful statement. In conquering the land, they also establish their spiritual heritage. These pagans, these, these Baal worshipers, had given names to cities that included the name of Baal. But when they conquer it and when they take it over, they rename everything in honor of who they are, not in honor of Baal. I think that's an important uh, point to consider that as they go, and we, you know, we studied Joshua. You may remember how there was a particular group of people who agreed to serve the Israelites if they would just let them stay in the land. They surrendered their land and everything they had. Just let us stay and be your servants. So the Israelites, the power of God is so expressive and dominant working through the Israelites in this whole ordeal that uh, the people not only are afraid of the Israelites and the power of the God of the Israelites, but in some ways they even come submissive uh, and, and want to be there to serve uh, the Israelites, which back when we went through Joshua, 
it, it seemed to have some kind of connotation as though these people wanted to place themselves as close to the God of Israel uh, as they could, which was a, which was a significant uh, event that happened or that, ha- that will happen pr- future to this when Joshua takes them over. So they're so forceful and so powerful, they will not allow any remnant of Baal worship to remain. It will all be cast down and then the places will be renamed. The sons of Machir, the sons of Manasseh went to Gilead and conquered it. Driving out the Amorites who were there. Moses gave Gilead to Machir, the son of Manasseh, and he settled in it. Jair, the son of Manasseh, went and conquered their hamlets. And he called them the hamlets of Jair. Nobah went and conquered Kenat and its surrounding villages and called it Nobah after his name. So they're establishing the name of the, the names of the, the people of God. They're, they're making a significant difference in their push into the land of Canaan. We have to remember something that we've studied previously. That the nations of Canaan had become so desperately evil and wicked that they had defaulted in their right to exist as nations. So you see the hand of God at work. What is presented as the most desirable piece of land in the world, the land of Canaan, the land of promise, flowing with milk and honey, was prepared for Israel so that Israel could just go in and and take it over. And the purpose of God is accomplished in a multitude of ways, not the least of which that his people would enter really into a rest because they didn't have to go in and clear the land and, and, and plant the land. And, and all. It, was already t- it was already ready for them to set up shop. Just like what we saw on the east of Jordan here with, uh, with uh, the son of Manasseh and all. They, they went right into a kingdom that already had cities built, already fortified. And when they were building those cities as Amorites, they didn't understand or realize that it was the purpose of God that they were building it to fortify for the protection of Reuben and and Gad and, and their descendants. And that they prepared the land for the, the flocks and herds of those two tribes. And, and God accomplishes his purpose in this sense. Number one... He displaces an evil, evil people who who were so um, innate with paganism and, and so immersed in darkness that their only hope was just the absolute judgment of God to be cast out, to be destroyed by the people of God and they would walk into a place already prepared for them. Same way it's going to be in Canaan. The Canaanites, with all of their evil and idolatrous ways and their horrible um, methodology in in worship and in community, uh, having having what they thought was this great prosperous time and 
worshiping their gods and goddesses. And yet at the same time, it's, it's an interesting and ironic twist to know that one reason they're so anxious to have the rich land, the fertile land, and to cause it to produce, unlike any other land in the world, to produce uh, and, and cause harvest, you know, fruits and whatever, the land is, is productive just in and of itself. It could just be left alone. It produces. They were clearing the land and, and enjoying fertility of the land as a worship of Baal, who was a chief god in the fertility cult. <laughs> so while they were preparing the land to make it fertile and, and productive and all of this, doing it for their God, they didn't realize that God would overrule all of that and they actually were doing it for God. And God's people would go in and take over and God would receive all of the glory for it. That's how God works. Takes care of his own. Well, we're going to stop there and we'll, we'll be dismissed in a, a word of prayer. Father, we marvel at how you take care of your own. How the world is, is powerless against you. And so we cannot but worship you and have faith in your plan and your purpose, knowing that whatever is happening, it is happening for the good of those who love you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.